You are listening to the Work in Esports podcast, a podcast where we chat with people who work in various roles around the esports industry and find out about their experiences. From casters to content creators to company founders, we are here to tell their stories. We explore their inspirations, how they got started, gained experience, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is to help provide context and maybe even offer you some practical advice for how you can get started yourself. So if you or someone you know is interested in working in the esports industry, you're in the right place. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Work in Esports podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Bing, and today I have a very special guest. Um, one of the first people I met when I moved out to LA uh, networking-wise, like I met him at, uh, what, was it? what was it called, Summoners Con? Yeah, I think it was Summoners Con. Summoners Con in like maybe fall of 2015-ish, and at the time I believe he was working with um was it i think it was with renegades at the time yeah it was with renegades that's right i think the night ended up that we crashed on the couch at renegades and that's <laughs> and that's how we uh, connected for the first time but um i'm here with him right now um would you do me a favor and introduce yourself and uh we can go from there yeah so cool what's up everybody my name is matt akavon um i've worked in esports for about six years now um Again, started off in the LCS, um, usually working in management positions. I've kind of had like really two phases of my career. Um, management positions where I'm doing more of like day-to-day -day stuff, making sure things are done on time, um, calendar stuff, communication, talking with Riot, things like that. Um, and then the second half of my career um, really started once I started working with Misfits, um, a lot more high-level management, a lot more business development and kind of like understanding product ecosystems and um, building up on that, actually, you know, leading a competitive team and roster from um, inception and um, to, you know, where they are now in season three. Um, and then it kind of just continued on like that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been doing general management for around six years and uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, it's it's great to it's great to have you on today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this, a little bit about that. But um, I'm curious: was there a specific moment for you where you were like, uh, "I know I want to work in esports, and this is what I want to do"? Yeah. So for me, it it was like more of this is like the career work that I want to do. Um, so before I worked in esports, I worked at um, Hollister and I worked at a boba shop called Bali Cup in LA. Um, and at both places, I quickly just got promoted to more of like a manager managerial position. Um, so at Hollister, it was, you know, started off um, as like someone in the back stock, someone who worked in front, um, eventually got promoted. Um, and then Lolly Cup, uh, it was kind of the same thing as a boba shop. I started off as just a barista, promoted to a shift leader. Then I got promoted to, you know, more than that, um, more of like an assistant manager type role. Um, and it was kind of there where I realized that like, this is kind of my strength, interacting with people, you know, um, trying to solve interpersonal problems and setting up things and trying to think about like the business and how to market and, you know, what demographics are we looking for? Um, how are our sales doing versus um, what we can do to make that even better or um, things like that. Um, and that was really it. Um, Esports kind of just came along because um, the LPS just started getting big. Um, I remember when um, League of Legends had like their first million dollar tournament and I was like, okay, this this can be something. So what I really did is I, I took my strength and I was like, hey, let me find a volunteer job. Let me just get on, the, on this early. Um, and I know that I have like the know-how and like the, the work to get through it. 
Um, I just need someone to take a chance on me, and then they get to see that I can actually do the work. Um, that's how I built it. And uh, like at that early level, like how did you make the connection? How did you get someone to give you that chance? What, what did that look like? Yeah, so um, it was just a lot of cold emails. Um, early on, I think it's a lot harder than it's a lot easier um, early on than it is now, um, especially because I lived in Los Angeles. So there's no like relocation fees or like, you know, there's not me taking a leap all the way to Los Angeles, finding a job, make, moving on, on my own. Um, so it was a lot easier. I was like in the area where all the LTS teams were. So it was just a matter of like shooting a couple emails, um, networking, talking to them about like my experience and just like offering my time for free. Um, and like at the same time I worked, um, uh, basically a full-time job and I went to school at the time. So it was like, I was basically doing two full-time jobs, going to school, just to try to make it in. That's a very, very interesting. Um, I actually, it's interesting. You, you also say that, uh, you know, you were kind of a little bit lucky that you were already located in Los Angeles, right? You didn't have to make mm -hmm. a big cross country move or something earlier in, uh, that year, 2015, I had actually done that. I, I positioned mm -hmm. myself for a move to LA because I wanted to kind of be there. I wanted to be kind of in your position where I could just say, Hey, I'm already here. So give me mm -hmm. a job. Let me, uh, you know, let me do the work. I know I can do it. And, uh, mm -hmm. on my drive out, I actually got my, uh, got my, had my interview and, uh, had like a, a pre-interview rather and, uh, interviewed the day after I arrived in LA and then s settled down with a job within that week. So it, it worked out. Like I just had to, yeah. had to make the move. People wanted to see that, you know, you were within reach and not someone who's just, you know, going to have to change everything if you already kind of mm -hmm. set that, take the first steps and put yourself in, in position, then, you know, it's not all luck. Sometimes yeah. it's just place. Yeah, um, definitely. Can you tell me a bit about uh, what you were doing before esports? You, you talked a little bit about, about your management. Uh, can you talk to like maybe about school? Like how, how did you manage that sort of balance and, um, and wh what were you studying? Yeah, so I went to community college at the time. Um, I wanted to get into a good four-year university, um, so I went to community college. Um, I ended up, actually I ended up moving out of my mom's house while I was doing it, so like I had the added pressure of like now I need to um, pay rent and sort of like come up with money every month, and um, you know you're making like seven fifty, eight fifty an hour at a minimum wage job, so mm. it's not super easy living in LA and like making that type of money. Um, so yeah, I went to FMC. I studied um, actually a lot of things. At first, I wanted to go into pre-med, realized that I probably don't want someone's life on my hands every day for like a career. Um, so uh, transferred into something that I thought was just more interesting. So like psychology, I've always been kind of like a really empathetic guy and really liked understanding um, the thought process and kind of like interpersonal stuff that you learn a lot psychology um so i went that route um ended up helping me a lot because now like in a room i'm one of the better equipped people to like handle conversations and kind of facilitate them um and in my experience working in esports i've like gotten tenfold better um but yeah that's that's kind of where i was at before again i worked at like you know minimum wage jobs boba shop hollister like retail company um grinded at what point were you able to kind of step away from, say, the boba shop, and uh, and did you did you finish university? Like, did, were you able to, or did you even want to? Like, can you talk talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah. So, education has always been like really important to me. Um, I've always been more so the person who wanted to get a degree more than my parents or anything. Um, but 
I found that I had this like opportunity that was super rare. So, you know, you can, my philosophy has always been like, you can take risks really early in life because you have, you know, the rest of your life to make up for them. Um, so I took two years off of school to work um, in esports. Um, and I came back, finished my undergrad at UCI. Um, so I, what I did is I finished the first two years of SMC enough for me to transfer. Took a two year gap year, um, applied to schools, got into UCI, um, who happened to also be opening up an esports program. Um, so it was just kind of a perfect fit for me. Um, finished my undergrad and now um, <laughs> I worked for FlyQuest for a while. And while I was there, I actually got accepted into USD's MBA program. Um, so right now I'm going um, part-time to do my master's in business at USC. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. I'm uh, excited about it. It's, it's everybody I, I've spoken to who has done or is doing an MBA. They, they're really hyped about it um, for the most part. It's a lot of work, but it yeah. also is like very rewarding from what I understand. It's, it's so fun, actually, because like everybody who's getting an MBA is like super hyped to get an MBA and everybody's super hyped to like talk to each other and get to know each other and like create these lasting relationships with other people who are like going to be at this master's level of degree when there's like a certain like it's kind of crazy. There's there's like a certain like minimum bar like you, you just get pushed up to a certain like salary threshold or position threshold just by holding the degree mm. um so like there everyone is like really excited to like get to know each other and network and like build that way that's cool now this is kind of random but uh is there are there anybody um is there anybody within your like class or whatever that uh is also like in the esports space yeah actually i met one person who works for i buy power okay. um <laughs> I don't, I think he works more on like the, um, like product acquisition front with like NVIDIA and, you know, Microsoft and NZXT and stuff like that. Um, but he's pretty in tune with the esports space. Um, a lot of people in my class, like follow esports obviously, but they're not, they don't necessarily work in the space. Um, I know at UCLA, there's a couple people that I know that have actually worked for like CLG and a couple other teams. Um, so like there, there are quite a few people who have like the esports background getting MBAs. Hmm. Now, while you're doing the MBA, are you um, still looking for any sort of work or? Yeah. So when I applied to my MBA program, I applied for a part-time position, which um, means I, I should have a full-time job while I'm also going. Um, basically what I do is Tuesday, Thursday from six to nine, I have classes and that's it. Um, it's pretty easy to like skip a class or like, you know, get a test rescheduled because, um, we're all full-time employees. So mm -hmm. they make a lot of exceptions for us. Um, and as long as, you know, you communicate with, you know, your work, you communicate with your school, um, you're on top of like scheduling and getting your work done, then it's usually pretty easy to do it. Um, it's a longer program, so it's three years instead of two. Um, but that's because, you know, you're working full time, you're still generating income while, while you're going to school, which is really important. Mm, definitely. Um, can I ask a little bit about your day-to-day -day experience when you're, um, doing general management, like when you're working in esports, like what does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah. So the day-to-day -day really depends on, I guess, what the biggest factors that are going on. So it, it's usually pretty, um, flexible and fluid. Um, Usually what the day-to-day -day is, is, um, you know, making sure that your staff and your players are good to go for scrims. Um, you're solving any problems before, during, and after scrims. Um, and then while they're in scrims, um, I try to watch games to kind of 
to watch practice, kind of see what is going on inside of the room, how the practice culture is like, how the coaches are doing. You know, kind of constantly always monitoring that, but the bulk of that is actually just getting my actual work done. Um, so whether, you know, we're looking to sign a new player or we're talking and making deals with another team, um, you're looking to sign influencers, you know, you're looking at growth strategies, you're looking at how are we going to market things differently, you're interfacing with your content and marketing team, your PR teams, you have an announcement going out. There's just like so many things that can happen and it's kind of just a priority list. Um, so it's super fluid, but um, generally I try to spend a good amount of time making sure that the team is settled and that I'm 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 in the know-how of what's going on, so that um, nothing kind of comes up and um, you know surprises me. I also make a really big point to do like one-on-ones with players and um, coaches to make sure that like they feel like they're being heard as well. Um, so I, I dedicate a pretty large amount of time to that as well. Hmm. And like we see it more and more uh, as time goes on, uh, like additional support kind of being built around. Uh, management and around players uh, in general. Um, mm -hmm. How have you seen that transition? Like early on, it really there wasn't much. It was it seemed like very much like team managers, people like you and, and your position were like the entirety of that sort of player support. Yeah, it used to be like that. Now you know you're getting a lot more coaches, um, so that helps a lot. You know, coaches help um, you know keep the head coach free of like the small stuff that he doesn't really have the most time to focus on when he has to really focus on the big picture and you know the direction mm -hmm. um and then as far as like management staff there's like been a lot more either people who are doing operations for teams or assistant managers so on the florida mayhem i had um assistant manager um he's albert um now he's the general manager but um what i did with him is he had you know a really good pulse on the amateur system and i kind of just gave him the task of like hey like let's build out this development system these are like the big key things that i want to use as synergies these are like the things that i want to accomplish but like i'm giving you full authority and full like autonomy to do what you need to do and do it as well as you can and we created a, an incredible amateur team he did a fantastic job managing that whole thing um so like things like that helped me a lot so like that time that I'm not investing into the amateur team and like scouting and, you know, talking to agents and such. Uh, I'm now investing into like um, building out the brand. Like what, what, what is our company standing for with our content team? Um, which was a big thing for me. Cause I feel like when you're trying to make decisions and you don't have a solid like identity for your brand or like how you envision yourself or how you want to be seen, then decisions become a lot harder to make. But if you're like FlyQuest, if you're like eco, eco-friendly, go green, you know, showcase greatness. There's greatness inside of everybody, and we want to, you know, help you showcase that. Then you know, like, oh, like if you have between sponsorship A or sponsorship B or influencer A, influencer B, who is more in line with that brand and more in line with like the lifeblood of our company? Then those decisions become a lot easier. And figuring out what that identity is is always the hardest part. Um, and figuring out how to dif differentiate yourself from other teams is always the hardest part. Because you look at every esports team, and really the only differentiating factor for most of them is like, do they win or do they not? Because everyone's selling the same merch other than like 100 Thieves. Right? Everyone's, everyone's doing like spirit jerseys, shirts, hmm. shorts. 100 Thieves is doing streetwear, and now a lot of people are doing streetwear. So like, how are you really differentiating yourself? You're basically all selling the same thing. And your streams of revenue are all the same. So like, there's a lot of teams 
and like only a few streams of revenue. So like, what are you going to do to differentiate and kind of expand upon that? That's a very interesting um, part of the, the overall esports space, I think, is teams monetizing um, and kind of diversifying that sort of in, the income stream, right? To, to make mm -hmm. uh, having a team operate uh, and be overall successful financially. Like it's, it's been a yeah. challenge. Um, is, is there anything specific that you would uh, say has helped you and your work to kind of angle um, the companies that you've worked at in a, in a profitable uh, way? Or is there anything that you, any sort of um, solutions or opportunities that you suggest? Like you mentioned 100 Thieves is a pretty good example, I think, because they definitely focus on, con they're, I view them kind of in that phase bubble where they're like more of an mm -hmm. entertaining entertainment company uh, who also have an esports team. Um, but, yeah, but they're definitely focusing on building their brand uh, fully incorporated, their esports brand fully incorporated in in that. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's a super loaded topic, um, but I'll I'll kind of break it down like this. And this is kind of something that I thought of when I was with Renegades, and I thought it was super important. Hundred Thieves really knocked it out of the park with this. Um, they kind of took the 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 notion that I had, and they really blew it out of the park. So. Um, for most esports teams, there's like three or four major streams of revenue. Um, there's merchandising, there's content creation, um, there's tournament winnings, and then there's streaming rights. So like Twitch, Overwatch League has a stream, streaming rights with YouTube, um, stuff like that. So that that that's what generates almost all of your income. So I I thought to operate as the most effective company, you needed to have almost each one of those legs be able to function on their own. So your competitive teams needs to be as profitable and as strong to build a brand as possible. Your merchandising needs to be a brand that can basically stand on its own regardless of what is going on. So like you need to have clothing that like look cool or like has a good vibe. Um, kind of like what 100 Thieves does. And then content creation. So like YouTube monetization. Um, uh, I guess competitive really isn't a big one it's more like sponsorships mm. um I, I would put sponsorships over competitive because of course there's only one team that wins so like there's only one team really making any type of significant money and honestly a lot of it goes to players mm. um so i think sponsorships and sales are a, a much bigger revenue stream um and that's also kind of hard to tap into because i feel like endemically sponsorships are kind of drying up so like you're not seeing logitech and like HyperX and you know, companies like that sponsoring a ton of esports team, they're like pretty selective. Hmm. You know, they they want to have a diversified um, team where, you know, you have a couple LTS teams, you have a couple Overwatch League teams, you have a couple CSGO teams, Valorant teams, etc. But you don't want to like over invest into LCS. You don't want to over invest into Overwatch League. That's kind of like, for me, how I'm seeing endemic companies looking at it. Hmm. Um, and then non-endemics, is like kind of a weird thing. I think Overwatch League did a really good job by doing geolocation because I think that, that helped a lot. Um, and I know from working with Florida Mayhem, like there are companies that are Florida based that talk to us just because you know we have that target demographic. You know, like we we can sit there and say like this is this is our actual target demographic, age here to here, you know, mid twenties to thirties, whatever, um, living in this location. So like that's why they have deals like Zaxby's, which I, like, I've I've never even heard of Zaxby's on the West Coast, but um, things like that. I think that's really interesting, and that's opening up 
a lot more streams of revenue. Um, but the pandemic, I think, helps too, um, which is crazy because you think of like, for example, SoFi. Um, SoFi has, I think, tons of sponsorships with normal sports teams. But since the pandemic hit, basically, they just lost all of that marketing money mm. that they gave to the, the sports teams because they're not having any events. Um, or they're having like very, they had very very few, and there were like not many people who were there, um, limited capacity, things like that. So like, I feel like they're taking a bigger loss. Whereas like you know they're putting a sm- like a significantly smaller amount to esports teams, but you're still getting pretty good marketing traction because um, it's primarily consumed digitally anyways. So, I guess that's that's one part of it. Hmm. It's it's a very interesting topic, and we don't have to dive any further into it. Uh, but I th- yeah. thanks for your insight. I, I do appreciate <laughs> it. Um, it's also good, to, I think, for people who were, are interested in like a career in esports, like look at the angles where you can kind of provide value, and and everything you went through really just breaks it down pretty well. I think. Um, yeah, that's kind of the reason why I'm going to get my MBA, because you know, like all of this is like I have kind of like the domain expertise of what's going on, but I don't necessarily know how to build it in a traditional business sense. Like I could try to like logic do things myself, but I kind of want to get that foundation um, so that I could actually build something um, better. That's that's interesting. I've, I've actually been, I've considered it loosely so far. Um, I moved to Berlin uh, just under two years ago now. And mm-hmm. um, I have a friend who just moved to Ireland uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to, to do the same thing, kind of pursue the, the MBA. It's like, it's the perfect time to do it really because yeah. um, there's not so much happening economically and uh, yeah, I've considered it. I, I think it's something I, I might want to do in the, in the next couple of years. So uh, yeah, I might be blazing a trail behind just sometime. <laughs> Let me know if you ever need anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, we, we'll do. Definitely. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about your work with uh, your like assistant managers. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious uh, who is like, who are the people that you engage with most in your in, in your day to day, and like, what does that relationship look like? Uh, coaches, managers, and um, managers more of like player managers. So like, they handle most of the day to day scheduling. Players need something. If they need to go get toiletries, they go get toiletries. Um, coaches almost always in constant conversation because they are like the captain of the ship. Um, the way that I kind of see. Um, my work with coaches is making sure that everybody is um, going in the same direction. So like, you know how, um, what is it, rowing? There's like a rowing team. And if one person has a paddle or like is not in sync with the rest of the team, the boat goes like left, they go right, or they don't go, they're not going as fast enough. You know, like, so that's, that's really important, making sure all the coaches under him, the coach himself, the players, the managers are all kind of bought into... A culture bought into an idea or a practice method um bought into like what the why the, the way we're the way we're practicing um makes it all really important because as, as soon as one person says like this isn't useful then it slows down progress for everybody so um constant conversation with him talking about you know whether we need to make changes on the roster um relaying information back and forth and then um, the other person I talk to the most is kind of like leadership. So president of the company, CEO of the company, um, things like that. And what does it look like when there might be like a kind of a kink in the chain, like, or where, as someone's maybe rolling in a slightly uh, different direction, how, 
you don't have to give me specific examples specifically with, uh, I don't want like names or anything, but I'm specifically yeah, yeah. just asking like, um, how would you kind of course correct? Yeah. So it's, a, I've, I've gone through a lot of schools of thought. Um, and I think right now I'm at the stage where like culture is king. And if somebody is breaking culture, then, um, they either have to realign or I'd rather move on with somebody else. Hmm. Um, I think before what I've tried to do is just like extensive communication and trying to understand everything, um, get their point of view, get other people's point of view, other players' point of views, colleagues, uh, get the coach's point of view and kind of compromise more. Um, that takes a lot of time and it sometimes it backfires. Like building a team is at the end of the day, a gamble when you don't have core pieces. If you don't know what your core piece strengths are, what their weaknesses are, how they interact with each other, then it's hard to build other pieces around them. Um, so when somebody is, you know, a kink in the cog, then you have to deal with it. And my inclination these days is to like try to work with them. And if they refuse to like buy in and like fully commit, then it's better to like try to find somebody who would fit that culture. Um, cause I think that that's the most important thing going back to like the rowing thing. Right. Definitely. Um, what is the favorite, what is your favorite part of the work you do? Uh, I think the, my favorite part is like the problem solving. Um, I think that that's really fun cause you know, it feels like you're a firefighter. Like there's a problem every day. Um, it kind of keeps you on your toes. It keeps you like thinking creatively. Um, it's either that or like the camaraderie of like working with your players and your staff and like getting to know everybody and like um you know seeing people through dialogue and conversations and conflict um i think that that's really rewarding for me nice um and on kind of on the flip side uh what's been maybe the most challenging uh part of of working in esports for you you can use specific mm. examples if you have them. Most challenging part is not having autonomy for me personally. Because um, when you're in a position of leadership and you feel like you don't have the power to make the decisions that you need to make or you don't have the resources or funding or um, you don't have the buy-in from higher-ups or you know there's, there's a disconnect somewhere, I think that that's when things become the hardest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just feel like other than that, it's like if you have to go through long, arduous processes to get things done, I think beat is paramount when you're in general management. Like if you don't, if you're not able to like go in there, close a deal or like get approval instant, like fast, then you end up losing a lot of things. Because like, especially during free agency, if you know who your opponents are, or you know who like your biggest, um, like the your biggest competition for like say getting into playoffs and you're in mid-season and you know that they're going after a piece in the support role and there's only a couple pieces and there's one that's significantly better than the other and you need that as well if you can go in there and swipe the best piece then you're giving yourself a competitive advantage to make playoffs and you know pursue further mm -hmm. um so speed is super super important um can you tell me about a personal sacrifice that you've made uh, to work in esports a lot, a lot, a lot. It never ends. 
I will say, so while I was working for Florida Mayhem and Misfits, um, I lived in Irvine and our office was in Burbank. So it's a two and a half hour drive each way every day. Um, I went five to six days a week. I was going to UCI full time. So I would take classes from like 6 a.m. to like 11 p.m. and then drive over and stay there until like nine or 10, um, drive back. And then by that time, it's like 1130. So I would go home, I would eat dinner, and I would literally just fall asleep, wake up at like 5.30 to get prepared for class and go do it again. Hmm. Um, so like I, I literally at that point had almost no life working like 14-hour days, going to school, doing homework, you know, getting good grades still. Um, so like that that's just the reality of kind of like what you sign up for. It's not always like that, right? Um, but I signed up for school and I signed up for this position. So it was something that I wanted to do and I just did it. Um, but yeah, I think I like, like the obvious one is I volunteered at the beginning, um, sacrifice pay, worked other jobs just to, you know, get the experience to get the foot in the door. Um, I think it's hard. Like personally, as a general manager, I never hired anybody for free. I always paid them. Um, I basically refuse to do free labor. Um, it's just kind of something that I've always done um, or always like thought I should just pay people, whether it's a small amount. Like even if, if people are volunteering their time for free, even just like $500 a month is like very gracious to them. Yeah. So like it, it just, it means almost nothing to an esports team. Like $500 a month is like literally nothing, um, but it means the world to them. And that's, that's really important. Absolutely. Um, what do you, was there any, anybody who you felt like kind of lended you a hand in, in sort of a similar way? Like you, you're talking about how, you know, like it, it means the world, uh, when an esports team uh, provides, you know, $500 or something like that, even if it's not specifically financial, was there somebody who kind of like, uh, reached out to you and, uh, and kind of extended you this opportunity? Yeah, I would say like, I, I did a lot of the work myself. I did a lot of like, the process of getting the network and the foot in the door. Mm. Um, but I think at Renegades, like obviously the person who gave me the opportunity to work there, which is Rob Lee. Um, he goes by Leonix. I think he works for the Pittsburgh Knights. Yep. Um, but he offered me the job and I, I, I hope I blew it out of the park because they offered me the full-time position once we um, made it into the LCS. Um, but, you know, getting that first step in is always the hardest part. And once, once you're in the position and if you're, you know, proficient, then you'll find it and people will notice you, um, which is kind of what happened. Um, so yeah, that's, I would say. What's it like? Um, you have some, some varied, uh, experience from team to team and I'm curious what it's, mm -hmm. what it's like kind of shifting cultures or shifting from one team to the, the next, how do you kind of, um, adapt? Yeah. Um, a lot of times I actually created the culture for most of the teams that I worked for. Um, the only caveat is like when you're going into a team and they already have an identity, they already have a brand or you're not the person who's like driving the culture. Um, so like at FlyQuest, Nick does an incredible job of creating culture. Um, and Trisha and, you know, the whole team there have a really sharp grasp of what their brand is and how they're going to market it and sort of like what philanthropic events that they want to do. And they're trying to keep things creative. They're trying to keep things fresh. Um, so there it's more of like, okay, so like explain to me what it is that the culture is 
let me embody it. And then from that, through actions, I can perpetuate that culture and make sure that it fits. Mm. Um, and that's that's a really important thing because creating culture isn't like, creating culture is more of just like, like being boring and repetitive about what it is. And more importantly, it's doing it rather than saying it. Like your actions are way more important than anything that you say. Um, and how you perpetuate that and how like new people come in, new employees come in and they see how you interact with different colleagues, different employees, different players. Um, that that sets the tone for everything. Hmm. Um, kind of in the, in the tangent of, uh, of culture, um, specifically within esports, um, work-life balance can be uh, questionable, I'd say, like, um, especially earlier on, I think still there's a bit of, there's some people who can definitely experience burnout. Um, and I've been there myself. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you, how do you balance work life? Um, and is there any, um, to be found work-life balance? Yeah, I think it's gotten a lot better these days, I would say. At the beginning, it was more of like, you signed your soul away, so like you just work all the time. Especially if you live in a gaming house, like, it's just work, 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 work. Like, mm. you know, if you're if you're in a game and someone needs something, then, you know, you finish the game or you like leave the game and you get it done. Um, I think it's a lot better now. Like, people have a lot more benefits. People work, you know, more like standardized hours. Um, I think in management positions, you're still in a position where like, if something needs to get done, you're going to get it done. Because, like, it's, like, our lifeblood, you know? Like, if you're a general manager or you're, you know, an upper management and there are things that just need to get done, you just, like, do it. Like, there's no there's no option for you. It's, like, your job. It's what it feels like. Mm. Um, and if you're in that position, you're not really complaining because it's, like, what you want to do. It's, like, something that you do because you love it. Like, I don't, like, like I said, I love problem solving. That's where I get a lot of my, like, validation, a lot of my, like, happiness from. Mm. Um, so you're not really complaining about it. But I think other positions within the esports space, just in general, like, everybody has off days. Everybody has time off. Everybody has, like, working hours and, like, softer hours. Um, so I think work-life balance has gotten a lot better. And really, it's, like, it's what you make of it. There are a lot of people who, like, have time off, but they still want to keep working. There are people who have, like... A lot of work to do but they take time away to like spend time with their significant other or they spend time with um, themselves you know um, and i think the most important thing is to have a really strong support system um, i have that here um, i have like an incredible set of friends i have an incredible set of um, family so um, i was able to like push through hard times because i had them um, i think it's a lot harder for people who come here with like no family no friends who are just moving cross country like then you're you're really just like relying on yourself and mm. the friends that you make here, and that's sometimes a little bit harder. Um, kind of uh, tapping into that a little bit. Uh, do you have any like recommendations for kind of building that support structure? Like, if, if from your own experience, it doesn't have to be um, specifically about like you know people moving cross country, um, but in your own experience, like what is like building that support structure been like? Yeah, it's just like really I I did it organically so i didn't really have a strategy to do it but it's really just like building meaningful relationships whether that's like with friends or colleagues like some of my colleagues are like i talk to i could talk to about anything um and that's like part of the culture that i created when i when i was creating cultures like it was like if you guys have problems talk to me like if you guys want to do something if you want to spend some time to have fun then like tell me i don't like i don't care i'll find another way to get get something done or like we can work through it 
Um, there is like one example that I think of is like one of my employees like wanted to go to a board game night. Um, and he had a task that he had to do. And I was like, hey, make sure you get this done today. He was like, hey, wouldn't it make more sense if I do that tomorrow? And I was like, no, why, why would that ever make more sense? And he kind of like tried to go at it again. And I was like, no, it just doesn't make sense. Do you want to do something else? Is there a reason you're saying this? And he was like, yeah, I'm like trying to go to a board game night. And if I take it, then I'll be late. And I just like, I kind of want a day off. And I was like, if you, that's fine. Like, fine, you could do it tomorrow then. But the like, I, I wish you would have just told me that you wanted to do something else in the first place. Mm. Instead of trying to say like, doesn't it make more sense to do something else? Kind of just like say what you want. Because I don't mind giving people time off. And, you know, people people have different levels of stress. Um, tolerance. So giving people time off is never a problem. There's always multiple ways to solve something or to get something done. Um, but yeah, I think that's just really important to build those meaningful relationships, take time when you need it and be honest about it. Like be transparent about it. Has there ever been like a point where you felt like extremely stressed with, uh, with your work or with uh, maybe like a situation? Uh, maybe it's like uh, trying to find a job or something like that. All the time. Um, so I, I personally, it's like really easy for me. I deal with stress like constantly um, and I'm super optimistic. Um, so I get over stress really easily. Like mm. for me, it's like, all right, I have a lot of pressure on me to like do things. Like, so I went to work for the Florida Mayhem. We had two really awful seasons. Um, and like that's stress on your job. That's stress on like the brand. You're like failing, you're, you're failing fans. You're failing like a lot of things. You're failing like your CEO, the people who are putting trust in you, mm. the people who are working there currently, like, Things get dreary when you're not doing well. Um, so that's a lot of pressure. Like the decisions you make affect your direct employees. Like if I make a decision that forces the company to lose a lot of money, that loses jobs for people. You know, like it's 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 like serious. So it's people's livelihood that you're kind of like making decisions on. Um, but I kind of just like take things one step at a time. Um, and don't let the pressure affect my decisions. Still try to think as logically and calmly as possible. Um, and just like take it one step at a time is mostly what I do. That's totally fair. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's completely fair. Um, how do you calculate success in either your work or your personal life? Huh? Or both? I think it's kind of like how you feel you're doing and um, seeing improvement personally. Um, so I think every year I kind of do like a big recap of like um, what I've learned, how I've grown and what I want to change. Like I reassess what my weaknesses are and what my strengths are. Mm. You know, I reassess like very key moments that happened and how I could have handled them better. And year over year, I feel like I learn something new every year. Um, I'm improving upon weaknesses or I'm just getting better at the strengths that I have. Um, or like I see a situation happening and I think that there is a better way to solve it. So like I change the way that I manage now. Hmm. Um, so like instead of, you know, trying to um, stop two people from arguing and having a conversation um, when things are like heated and, you know, it's not, all, it's not super constructive. Sometimes, you know, I, the best course of action is to just like diffuse it, come back later and talk about it so that, you know, we're talking 
in a way that's like constructive and people's heads aren't like hot from the loss or whatever mm. um but i think that one thing i've learned is like sometimes you just like need to let that conversation ride and facilitate it um let emotions come out instead of bottling things up because when you keep bottling things up like that eventually people just stop talking about their frustrations and they kind of just like oh we'll just talk about it later and then they kind of brush over it later or you start getting condescending um so like things like that you just like learn um and i think that that's like as long as you feel like you're getting better at your job and you're you know you're you're you can handle the same situation better next time mm. um i that's kind of how i value my growth and success metric really mm. and um what was what was i gonna say next i was gonna ask you oh, i just lost it i had it a perfect tangent um I could go on a little bit more. Yeah, probably. do that, and it'll come back to me. <laughs> All right. Um, so another thing that you'll notice is, like, I, I've focused my success solely on my performance and the things that I do. Um, and I never attribute the success of the team to myself because the success of the team is always a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's the coaches, it's the players, you know, it's, it's kind of everybody else who's just, like, doing their job and doing it well. Um, and I think that that's really important to kind of understand. Like, I, I don't I don't see, like, myself working for a team. Like, when I was on the CSGO team, we went from, like, a team who kind of blew up internally with, um, you know, some shady stuff happening within the team, and we lost a coach and a manager for it. And I came in, and, like, there's these disjointed relationships between players. Um, we went from a team who was, like, disjointed to qualifying for our first major franchise major of misfits um finishing top three in esl pro like like we made an incredible run um and by the end of it i think that like a lot of those relationships were mended um and i don't really like consider that to be my success i consider it to be our success i facilitated in that but it was kind of everybody coming together it wasn't just me it was like the stuff that i did i know what things i could have improved on what things i should and should not have done Hmm. um but um, it's always more of like a team thing when I talk about teams. So um, I always try to keep it personal to me and like how I'm growing. Yeah, keeping that sort of a, or creating that fluid um, teamwork and that fluid kind of communication uh, culture, like you said before, um, within a mm-hmm. team, I think can definitely be a way to measure your own success or your own um, happiness uh, in the work that you do. Um, I remember the question. Uh, the question was, what have you learned in the last year? You talked a little bit about um, some of your learnings overall, but I'm curious, specifically within this last year, uh, what is something that you've taken personally in? It's actually the thing that I mentioned about um, conversations um, and trying to keep things positive all the time isn't always a solution. Sometimes you need to have... Um, I guess, like, more roundtables or more opportunities for people to, like, let out their frustrations in a way where I can um, mediate it so that it's not just, like, blind attacking and not listening, but it's, like, you're letting out those frustrations and we're really talking about it in the moment instead of diffusing it and coming back later. Because I think diffusing it and coming back later actually propagates or like perpetuates um 
like not the not the best team environment long term. Mm. What is what is like an ideal uh, position for you? Um, I, you're still looking for work at the moment, I believe you said, right? Yeah. So it's a couple things. I think I'm I'm kind of pivoting. Um, since I'm getting an MBA, I'm kind of looking for more of um, a business sided, you know, whether it's marketing, business development, um, or um, I'm also still looking for like general management positions and um, I guess like program development positions. So like, I think I would do a really good job at creating like amateur programs and amateur like systems to actually develop that ecosystem. Um, you're seeing teams like EG and like 100 Thieves Next um, putting in a lot of effort into creating an amateur program, um, an actual developmental program. And I think that that's something I would also be like really, really good at and um, be able to lead and kind of have a good grasp of it. Nice. Um, and how, how do you think... Um... How do you think like overall, like kind of this is kind of a step back in, in the conversation we talked a bit about like uh, your previous work and kind of before you hopped into esports, what skills do you think um, are, were most important to you kind of as you stepped into esports? Like what, what skills do, uh, would you find most practical um, like in giving like advice to people who want to work in similar positions to you? Yeah, so um, being able to work and get things done in like very ambiguous situations or like being able to like take a directive and kind of run with it. Um, for example, the um, job that I gave my assistant manager on Florida, which was to create the amateur program, um, I kind of just gave him a rough idea and he kind of just ran with it. Being able to like make those decisions on your own um, and being willing to fail and like, you know, ready to fail and learn without getting discouraged is super important. Mm. Um, being able to communicate and hit deadlines is like probably the number one most important thing. Um, without a doubt, that's the most important thing because there's so many times where like a deadline is coming up and if you need a couple extra days, it's doable. But if you don't let your manager know that you need a couple extra days, then all of a sudden the deadline comes the product isn't finished and now you have a problem because you aren't able to adjust right mm. um and for example let's say like it's a sponsorship deliverable and you have um you know a representative coming the next day and the deliverable isn't ready now you're on a time crunch so like it makes things a lot worse um it's being able to communicate hit deadlines um really just being able to like think creatively and work autonomously when you're given a task um and like make rational decisions um they're all really important. Those are those are those are what I would say are the most important. Are there any uh, tools or tips or methods that you use to kind of stay organized and kind of um, focus your energy to do like the best work that you can? Yeah, I think it's like whatever works best for the individual. So um, I've worked with like a million project uh, management tools. So like I worked with like WorkZone and um, like Monday and. There's a ton of them. Um, I hate all of them. I, I don't work well with any of them. Um, and I think that, honestly, a lot of times they slow my process down more than they speed them up. Mm. Um, and honestly, the benefit of them is so other people can see where you are in that task um, that need to be completed. Um, so I think that um, for me, it's like if you create a list is like the biggest thing for me and use Google Calendar. 
Um, but I think it's like whatever works best for that individual person. There's a lot of people who, you know, if you put throw things on a Google Calendar, you make a list, you'll never look at it. So you'll never get the thing done. Um, so try to find what works for you and like, you know, what resonates with you. What are you always using? Like, I was always on my phone, right? I'm getting Discord messages from like 30,000 people. You know, I'm texting people I'm on phone calls. So like my phone was super useful to me. I had notes, I had Google Calendar on there. I would always check those. So like that's that's how I stayed on top of everything. Mm. Okay. Is there is there anybody in within the esports space that you particularly look up to? Um, particularly look up to? Probably not. Um, but I respect a whole lot of people. Um, people that I've worked for in like Misfits, especially at FlyQuest. I respect the people at FlyQuest like so much. Um, I think that they're all like super, super incredible at what they do. Um, between Trisha and Nick and all those guys, Ricky, um, they're all incredible at what they do. Um, and they're a super small team and they're achieving as much as like teams that have like hundreds of staff, like 50, 60, 70s of staff. And they're like, they're like an eight person team or something over there. Um, there's a lot of people like other general managers that I respect a lot. Um, I respect specifically people who have the ability to do more with less resources because mm. i think that that's the hardest thing um there's two real big schools of thought and it's like be fiscally responsible with how we're spending our money and we're backed by vc so just like spend and ensure the future um and i think it's a lot easier to spend and ensure the future when you have you know money to throw you could kind of do whatever you want um but when you have to work under a budget that's when you need to get creative um, and that's where you need to take more risks and people who can make those risks pay off consistently i think are exceptionally good at what they do hmm interesting um kind of uh wrapping up some of what what you've uh what you said overall like um mm -hmm. if you would have like some specific advice to people who are interested in in working in esports uh, what would it be like specifically in your your position or kind of following in your footsteps somewhere? Yeah, find something you're good at and double down on it, like whatever it is. So for me, it was like interpersonal stuff. It was management. It was like, um, you know, scheduling things, business development, making sure things are getting done, solving problems. That's the stuff that I was good at. If you're good at like graphic design, just like put everything into it. If you're good at animation, animation's like an incredible place to be at. If you're super good at marketing. Uh, if you're good at math, like there's so many, there are so many things that you could do with any skill that can come back and help you in esports. So it doesn't matter how bad you are at like X, Y, or Z, as long as you're like proficient enough. Like right, if you if you can't communicate, then obviously it's going to be a problem no matter where you go. If you're not hitting deadlines, it's going to be a problem wherever you go. Um, but if you're like incredibly proficient at one thing you will always be able to find value in your career, whether it's in esports or without. Um, and honestly, it's a lot easier to get into esports if you have experience working a non-endemic job, but that has the same skill set. So it's easier to make that transition into esports once you've already had that experience. Hmm. And um, specifically when it comes to like, say networking, would you have any uh, advice in that department? Um. Yeah, just try to make as many organic networking relationships as you can. Um, I think that like a trap that a lot of people fall into is just like the copy paste, like 
shooting a message every once in a while, like find things that are um, organic about the relationship and kind of like organically build it. Don't just like, um, it's really easy to tell when people are just talking to you, just talk to you. Um, try to find some common interest, try to find some like, you know, in obviously like be transparent. Like if you're looking for a job, you're looking for a job. So like, tell me about your skills. Tell me about like your experience and stuff like that. And let's talk about that more so that way. Um, but I think like networking is something that I've like, I've always thought is kind of weird to me um, because I can, you know, talk to people and like get to know people um, pretty easily. But when it comes to a matter of like, I'm in a room and I don't know anybody and I have to go and say like, oh, hey, I'm Matt, I do this, that and whatever, let's talk. Like that feels weird, especially if you're going to like a group of people, which kind of everybody's always grouped up these days. Mm. Um, I, I don't know, it, it feels weird to me. So I'm not the best person to ask about that, but um, I just think it's so important to like create an organic relationship with people that feels natural and not like um, forced. Hmm. I think that that's fair. And I think it, it becomes easier when we can meet again in like shared spaces. Like obviously yeah. the last year has been really, uh, would be, let's say a hindrance in trying to get any sort of IRL networking in. Um, but I mean, mm -hmm. Hey, that's, that's where we met. We met at a league of legends event and, uh, yeah. it, and here we are five years, five or six, six yeah, years a later, lo a long time. A long time. Um, yeah. Very, very yeah just like that you know like you didn't like come up to me and like just talk to me about nothing like we talked we had a conversation i got to know you um and like we've talked throughout the years like i've seen you at events we've always like hung out whenever i see you hmm. you know we we sit down and chat um and that's like kind of what you want to strive to create um and to be honest most people who work in esports they want to talk to people um they they enjoy talking to fans it's like a big part of it um and unless you're like just busy out of your mind then you usually you make time for at least a conversation um so don't be afraid to like you know go up to them and talk to them and don't feel like you know you're taking away their time if they have to go they have to go you know yeah definitely i think i think uh like you said the the hardest part is kind of getting the nerve to to get up and ch chat to mm -hmm. groups um but it does get easier the more you do it I feel like and yeah. also as long as you're just authentic in yourself and you're not just straight up trying to pitch people stuff like that's that's it just make authentic connections be a person first and then um business later really like yeah. could people want to work with people that are good people not necessarily uh people who have something that uh they want to provide you you know like they yeah okay so um I think that's pretty that does a pretty good uh, job, pretty well-rounded conversation we've had so far. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything um, specific that you think uh, people who are interested in working or building a career in esports uh, should know? Yeah, so I guess the main thing, if you want to get into esports, um, if you want to just build a career in general, it's, again, like really focus on what your strengths are. Isolate what that is get some job experience, you know, go work in a minimum wage job or whatever, kind of see where your strengths lie and assess yourself. Always assess yourself. Um, look at it as objectively as you can. What If you have to do that once a year, if you have to do that between jobs, between seasons, whatever, um, it's really important to take that time. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's that that is what will always set you up for the most success in life, whether it's in esports or not.
I have a, a bit of a follow-up on that uh, specifically. Uh, when you assess yourself, is there, um, do you have any tips for uh, kind of describing that assessment, like say on like a resume or in an introductory email or something like that? How do you like kind of um, display or showcase your, um, your work experience and your successes and your strengths overall um, when you're like applying for a job? Yeah, so when you're applying for a job, something that I've kind of learned to do is, um, so I read a lot of job resumes, so I knew what I wanted to see. Mm. So I, I fit my resume to fit that. Then I sent it off to like a couple friends and they kind of gave me their feedback. And their feedback was like, oh, like it seems like, it still seems like very robotic. Like it feels like you're just lifting accomplishments rather than like what you actually did. Um, so then from there, I, I transformed my resume to being like, hey, I did like, you know, scouting X, Y, Z. It was like, uh, I did this and it led to this reaction. Um, and that reaction led to, you know, this accomplishment. Um, and it was more of a sentence rather than just like a bullet of what the accomplishment was. It was mm. like more of a story. So you're telling a story more so in your resume than, um, you know, just giving quick, quick bullets. Because mm. um, that gives a lot more context. So they understand like, what your actual function in the role was rather than like things that rather than like a job description, which is like, you know, let's manage your day-to-day -day operations, you know, communicate with players, scouting like that, that could really mean anything. And whether you do it or you don't, it's like, it's always still up in the air. But if you put in context behind it, like, you know, I, um, negotiated against, I negotiated with, you know, companies like, um, press agency used to be a thing. Um, with um man what are the other two the two biggest agencies morrison um morrison runs one of them and then the other one is like one of the three biggest talent agencies in the world um and travis is an agent there but anyways things like that give give more context um while not you know writing paragraphs in your resume hmm. interesting um do you have any thoughts like um I, th I think that that is great advice. I personally do that as well. I do it in a slightly different way. Uh, like I have my resume, which has like, you know, these sort of bullet points with like more raw data, like on like what I mm -hmm. what I did and what it, what it meant overall. But uh, more of the, the what it meant in the interpretation, the context around that goes into like my introductory email, which I would consider mm -hmm. my CV essentially. Or uh, yeah. my C yeah, CV, right? Uh, so there's yeah. like... Cover, le cover letter rather, uh, not yeah. CV. Resume is the same as a CV pretty much. But um, so the resume is like the, the base data and then the context uh, is the cover letter or my introductory email. I think that that is, mm -hmm. is, a, is a, another way to do it. Um, if, if you receive info like that, what are you looking at first? Are you looking at, um, like say you're looking to hire for a position. Um, are you looking at, uh, are you reading the email or are you clicking straight through to the, um, to the resume? I've actually almost never gone to the resume first. I've always read the CV, uh, cover letter first. Um, and most of the time I feel like I skip or skim through the first paragraph because first paragraph is usually always just fluff, right? Um, usually first paragraph is like, hey, like this is me. This is like a broad overview of my experience. And then I think I'm a good fit for this position. And then you start talking about like what you actually do. Hmm. And if you don't, then like you, I probably don't, I probably like skim through your resume and go next. Hmm. Um, I think another thing that's really important is I don't want to read a really long cover letter. Um, it, it, it really depends on where you're applying, but if a general manager is reading through resumes, man, I don't have time to read a full page cover letter. 
if I'm going through like 60, 70 applications, hundreds of applications at times. Um, so it really depends if you're, you know, applying to a company like Riot Games or um, a company that has an HR department. I think that makes a lot more sense because their job is literally to read, read through the cover letters, assess fit, assess qualifications for the job, schedule the interview to, to go more in depth on that. Um, so I think try to tailor it for, you know, who you're who you're messaging it to. Do they do they want something longer? Do they want you to explain more? Or is it like more likely someone like if you're sending a cold email to somebody about a proposition that's in a high position? You want it to be concise to the point, quick, and to hit hard instantly. Um, and I think that that's that's an important thing to take note of. Awesome, thank you. Um, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you could guys follow me on Twitter at Matt Akavon, basically everywhere at Matt Akavon. Um, luckily, I'm the only person with that name, so I could just navigate any everywhere. Very good. Um, well, thank you again for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. I think we had a, it was a solid conversation, um, and I think it'll be useful for the listeners. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for having me, and I hope, uh, hope you guys all find something valuable in here. Cool. Thanks. Have a nice evening. Yeah. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Work in Esports podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow and let us know who you might want to see next on the podcast. Thanks, and see you next time.